We are going to continue our thinking through the scriptures as we have been going through the book of Numbers and finding personal, spiritually discerned application as the individually numbered and cared for people of God. This morning we will move into Numbers chapter 11. On the front of your bulletin, you will see a map. This map allows us to see the journey of the Israelites from Mount Sinai in the south and as they move north into the land of Canaan. This morning, we will remember and think through the events that occurred at Taborah, as you see there all the way in the south by Mount Sinai, and Kibroth Hatava. Last week, we concluded with the victorious proclamation that Moses declared at the going forth and the settling of the Ark of the Covenant. These people have been given so much through this revelation at Sinai. I find it frustrating, which I believe is the point of the narrative, that these people being given so much, the victory of the Lord on their behalf, in front of them and behind them, with them, in their very midst to conquer their enemies. Besides the fact that God's prosperity would bless their crops and their children, etc. Yet they immediately move to complaining, unappreciative, of what they had been given, freedom and true worship and idolatry, and instead moved to idolatry regarding what they had in Egypt. As the text reveals, this displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them, and consumed them, that they were at the end, them that were at the end of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed, the fire was quenched, and he called the name of the place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. What I'd like to do is take a look at the text, and then read through and sort of highlight some of the things that we read about herein. So let's start, since we've already read verses 1 through 3, let's start at verse 4. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires. And also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed in its appearance like that of bedallium. The people would go about and gather it and grind it between the two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell in the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? And you have laid the burden of all this people upon me. Was it I who conceived this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry this people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal with me, please kill me at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. 
The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me seventy men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat, for we were well off in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat, not one day, not two days, not five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month, until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 on foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so that they may eat for a whole month. Should flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. The Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. He took up the spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. And then the spirit rested upon them. They prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but they had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought forth quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp and about two cubits deep the surface of the ground. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day gathering the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because they were buried, the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatava, the people set out to Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. In verses 4 through 9, we read that a certain number of the Israelites began lusting and crying out regarding flesh to eat. They wanted more than the manna which the Lord had provided. They are basically saying, freedom is good and all, but we ate better in Egypt. Rather than struggle and strive to get to the promised land, they sought the creature comforts they had while in bondage. Their idolatry and fascination with the pagan lifestyle of self-indulgence is on full display here. Moses had dealt with this before when they journeyed to Mount Sinai. Yet this time, after they have seen and been blessed with so much, 
beyond the miraculous material provisions, they had the revelation and the presence of God revealing himself to them. Moses loses his cool and cries out to God. It would be better for me to be dead than to have to try and lead these people. I'm sure we can sympathize with Moses. I know I'm not a fan of being around what I refer to as chronic complainers. It weighs you down. As Moses said, it is too heavy for me, as we see there in verse 14. So God in his sovereignty elects 70 elders to serve with Moses. I love this wisdom found in scripture because that is the basis for what God has established here. A good board eldership, or what we refer to as the leadership committee, pastors, elders, and deacons, is vital for success in leading the people of God forward. Our corporate vote or community rule through our membership and our various appointed committees are also based on this sovereign wisdom the Lord provides to Moses. From my vantage point, serving in other churches and then serving here for the last six years, what God has planted here is healing, and what we can surely exemplify to other churches that have leadership issues... And of course, church plants is good leadership. Matter of fact, this is a great time to remind you of our planning and marketing meeting that we will be having and our outreach committee meeting we will be having following our worship service and our upcoming leadership breakfast on Saturday, September 28th. Rabbi Shmuel Golden notes to Moses' complaint that he can no longer bear the burden of leadership alone. God commands him to assemble 70 elders. Moses, Ruach HaKodesh, the prophetic spirit, allowing it to be shared with the other elders. And in the midst of that prophetic revival, two men, Adad and Meldad, Eldad and Medad, those of the numbered elders, yet those who were not gathered at the sanctuary, began to prophesy in the camp. Again, we saw this in verses 26 through 30. The immediate response of one young man in the camp, Joshua, is to have Moses forbid these men of prophesying outside the confines of the gathered elders. Interesting correlation between this story and a discussion between Jesus and his disciples in Mark chapter 9, verses 38 through 41. And I quote, Teacher said John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, said Jesus, for one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say nothing, for no one who says, does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. I believe Jesus' response is similar to Moses. Whereas Moses said God would have it all, have it that all of his people would be prophets and the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Numbers chapter 11, verse 29. The most obvious observation we can make from this text at this point is that God's work in and through his people, whether it be casting out demons or prophesying, extends beyond our specific groups, divisions, denominations, etc. And I mean that in the body of Christ. A mighty revival broke out at Kibroth Hevata. The Lord provided quail for the people, yet due to the Israelites being selfish and unappreciative, constantly desiring more than God's gracious provisions, the text tells us that the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people and he struck them with a very great plague. Verse 33. This all happened from Tiberah to Hatava, and so began the journey to Hazaroth.
I want to borrow the narrative details and allow them to speak to us a bit this morning about the prophetic. Many of you know that despite our Baptist leanings, I have an appreciation for the fivefold ministry, which includes the prophetic, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. So yes, I do believe there are prophets in the church, so-called and gifted by the Lord. The Hebrew word for prophet is nabi, meaning a prophet or generally an inspired man, one who prophesies. Just this week, I listened to an interview with pastor and author Keith Collins regarding his new book, Samuel's Arising, in which he details that we are living in a quote-unquote Samuel generation, wherein we are going to see more than a move of God, a true restoration of the glory of God in and without the church. Well, praise God. Many have sensed this and seen this for quite some time. Collins uses the narrative of Samuel, beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 3, Samuel being born and raised in a dark generation, wherein the word of God was rare, and compares it to our current context. Samuel was called and anointed to change the spiritual climate by provoking the people of God. His being sensitive to the Spirit of God would equip, accelerate, and activate the people in his generation to live for God. So too today, many are being raised up in this regard to step out in the purposes of God. Amen. Many do get confused in this regard. Many argue, but the scriptures teach that prophecy will cease. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. And that we are living in the time past the need for the prophetic. I agree with that understanding in part. The foretelling of the prophetic last days is surely in our past. And not much is needed to be foretold since his presence has been established in our midst, which is what all the prophecies in the Bible pointed toward. When God would dwell in the midst of his people in spirit and in truth, and righteousness could be found. However, prophecy in another sense, calling called and passionate forthtelling, if you will, that which comes from a mind and heart gripped by a particular of God's truth and the burden to see that come to fruition is, in my estimation, alive and well and is very much needed. And this is the prophetic. I immediately begin to think of men such as Shane Claiborne or Francis Chan, Mark Batterson, and Rick Joyner. If you're not familiar with those names, uh, Shane Claiborne wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution, a book that I believe uh, gripped my heart. I mentioned it in my book, Freaked Out by the New Covenant. Um, Shane Cla Claiborne also wrote Jesus for President, which you'll be hearing me speak about for um, next couple weeks a little bit. Um, Francis Chan talked about how the church needs to develop a crazy love for the things of God and for God himself. Um, and he also most recently wrote a letter, uh, wrote a book going through the seven letters for the contemporary church. Um, Mark Batterson has written so many things. I love one truth that I'll make mention of this morning. He has a book called In the Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And what he does is he takes a way to challenge the man and woman of God to be like Benaniah, who only gets his mention very shortly in Scripture, but he got his mention because he was willing to chase a lion. How many people are chasing lions? Well, you should be. Because lions are those big, fat goals that you should be going after. And he chases this lion in a pit, the worst situation possible, to be stuck in a pit. And he gets stuck with this lion, but he slays him and kills him. 
Benaniah slew that lion in the pit. He was, he was in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And that short, short story earned him his mention in Scripture in God's beautiful narrative. And the question Mark Batterson has you ask yourself, prophetic wisdom here, is what is the story that the legacy that God is living through you? What are your lions? He helps you identify through a lot of his resources to identify lions. And that's just one of his books. Um, there's so many different things. I could go on and on. Rick Joyner, again, totally outside of my prophetic camp, so to speak. Totally outside my theological camp. Uh, however, Rick Joyner senses things that I believe are, are very much in tune with our current society. If you read the, uh, the Sword and the Truth series, I believe it is. Um, he has the three-part narrative um, going through three book narrative, going through this prophetic vision that he claims he was given, and honestly, I, I've been captivated by it. He believed and he sensed that something happen is happening in this generation, and I believe I'll build on top of that as I go through my message this morning. I have discerned prophetic truths from these men and their ministries. It was Shane Claiborne that said, "Quote: What the world really needs is not more churches, but a church." We need minds that are renewed and uncluttered so that they are free to dream again. Converts in the best sense of the word, people who are marked by the renewing of their minds and imaginations, who no longer conform to the pattern that is destroying our world, who believe so much in another world that they cannot help but enact it now. I also think of Vicki, Dr. Chua, here in our own congregation, who I regularly regard as our quote-unquote house prophet for much of her wisdom shared in our various Bible studies, but more so in our private discussions that I am blessed to have with her. Vicky's desire for scriptural discernment and application surely keeps me on my toes, which I believe is a work of God in our church and in my life, especially with her constant urging to look at everything from the perspective of where God is in it, his sovereignty, his sovereign grace, his sovereign wisdom. Please know, I do believe in and appreciate contemporary prophets. Those who are passionately inspired to foretell and highlight truths we need to hear. Sometimes we don't want to hear. And the thoughts and issues we should be focused on. And provocation. Those who have been given authority in and through Jesus Christ to take serious our commission to live in and live out the dictates of the King of Kings. Those who gain a good biblical understanding through good hermeneutics, a fancy uh, phrase for biblical interpretation, have come to understand the biblical narrative, the context of the scriptures in their entirety, use audience relevance when reading, and value the time statements, are thus called to exercise all that has been given to them pertaining to the life, to life and godliness to develop burdens, to develop inspirations, to mark out inspirations, to develop strategies that will glorify the King of Kings on earth as it is in heaven. Shane Claiborne in his book, The Irresistible Revolution, asked, where has the fire gone? As his analysis of the contemporary church. If fire is our passion for God and the things of God, I would assert that we seem to have the fire. Many Christians have been propelled into passionate ministry on a host of issues. But little strategy or place to put the fire so that it can burn intensely for the purposes for which the fire was created to bring healing to the nation seem to be lacking. 
I believe there are some among us, even among our small, our small fold here at Blue Point Bible Church, who are called to be prophets and those who are called to be kingdom kings. A small announcement here. Many of you, if not all of you, may know that I published a commentary on the book of Kings in the Kingdom Bible. I anticipate building on that short commentary with a book that will be both a commentary on Kings, but also a contemporary on the call for and need for Kingdom Kings. In the Kingdom Bible commentary, I note, Quote, man left his own devices and not depending on the wisdom of God will never gain God. Man left to his own devices and not depending on the wisdom of God will never gain God. I continue, two stories of victory stand out amongst the king of Judah, the kings of Judah, and give us hope in the reality that God always maintains an elect who is focused on him. King Hezekiah and King Josiah both sought to restore God's people by removing the idolatry from the land and restoring God's covenant among the people. Yes, we need exactly that. Those who are called by him to be kings and priests, Exodus 19.6, Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.9-10. Secular politics will not be that which brings forth the healing to the glory of God. Rather, spiritual government, the government that prophetically was to be on his shoulders, as we read there in Isaiah chapter 9, those kings who know and represent the King of Kings will be those who will make known, those who will make known the manifold wisdom of God by bringing healing to the nations. So, contrary to Keith Collins and his desire to see the contemporary prophets raise up, I believe it will be the kingdom kings that need to be raised up and will change things. Allow me to explain the difference between a king and a prophet. Many of you may be familiar with the recent issues with the NFL, racial relations and details pertaining to police brutality. Some of you are probably familiar with the hoopla raised in more recent weeks regarding famous rap singer, culture leader at this point, Jay-Z, and his buying into the NFL. Well, in a recent video, he was charged with not listening to the prophetic voice of the culture. What he said set him apart, at least in my estimation, from the prophetic utterances by many who are passionate about that topic. Sure, whether I agree with the prophesying in passion is a separate topic. I am not ready to deal with this morning. However, Jay-Z said, it's a natural emotion to be upset. Everyone can speak like those Twitter people. The question is, what have they done? I've done this, and he went on to list certain things he's done, this and that. And what is everyone else doing? Conversation is cool and needed, yes, identify problems. But after we address and identify the problems, what are we doing? Who is making change happen? And then he goes on to challenge, what have you done with your last 365 days? I know what I did with mine. And he went on to cite those he has helped be released from prison, those who he has helped put food on their tables, etc. Simply put, kings make change happen. They strategize and enact things, and that's what we need. We do see similarities in the context of Numbers chapter 11 and our current day. A people prone to grumbling, a prophetic revival in our midst, and needed leadership to bear the burdens. 
Prayerfully, you have done the self-examination and spiritual discerning regarding the prophetic and each of our calls to be kings serving the king of kings. I hope you're excited and look forward to the details I will be bringing out in this upcoming book. No set projected publishing or release date yet. However, in the meantime, you can glean insights from those who attend Thursday night Bible study at Pastor Steve's house as they're currently studying through the book of 1 Kings. So in conclusion this morning, I do believe some are called to be prophets and are prophesying today. However, prophets are a people passionate about a particular thing or purpose, and this can be found quite often today. It is hard not to be passionate about something since we see a world in such disarray, and we see the people of God, the church, in disarray. Prophets are needed, and we have them, yes. Yet what we truly need in the proper context and outworking of Scripture are kingdom kings as the kingdom is not just expressed in word, but in power and demonstration, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. In the Kingdom Bible Commentary, I exhort the reader with what I call a kingdom application. You must ask yourself, which end do I desire? It's one way or another. Are you walking in the ways of David, completely devoted and not turning to the right or to the left, or are you apathetic? about the things of God, and being influenced by idols. God desires worshipers in spirit and in truth. Therefore, one must take heed that the apathetic attitudes regarding the things of God are not to be tolerated. Much of the kingdom of Israel's issues would have been avoided if their leaders would have maintained a wholehearted devotion to the things of God, removed the idols from the land, and heeded the prophets. May we see and participate in the raising up of kingdom kings. Let's pray. Mighty God, Lord, we do indeed thank you for the prophetic. We thank you, Lord, for what you do through the church, Lord, as your word tells us that the manifold wisdom is made known through the church, that this is the holy purpose for which you have created the church, Lord, and we thank you for that. But Lord, we also know that the church are called to be kings. We are called to reign on earth, Lord to display your glory on earth as it is in heaven, as you dwell in our midst. We are called to bring forth the healing of the nations, Lord, to make use of the leaves of the tree, our lives. May we do that by being burdened and inspired for your purposes, Lord. May you go before me in my book-writing venture, Lord, and allow me to truly exegete and give proper respect to the scriptures, Lord, in their proper context, and in what you're teaching us through that narrative. But also, Lord, may we apply great spiritually discerned application for the building up and edification of the saints. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've given pertaining to life and godliness. We magnify your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>